the times that we're living in, I feel like as an artist, there has to be a level of accountability in terms of what we're creating and what we're putting out there and why. I feel it would be irresponsible for me to just create stuff that looks and sounds great. I feel like I have to comment on some of the things that are in my heart. And I think that's what a true artist does, either because you want to change the world or just because it's unbearable to hold it in your heart. There has to be a way of expressing it with the hope of contributing to some kind of change, whether it's contributing to someone thinking more about something they hadn't considered or seeing something from someone else's perspective. I don't want to go out and like preach to people. I don't feel particularly tied down to any particular ideology enough to want to impose it on anyone but I just want people to talk about things and to open people's eyes to other people's ways of thinking. And if I can do that, I feel like I would have achieved a lot. Hello, and welcome to the Women of the Future podcast, a podcast made in collaboration with the Women of the Future programme, a platform built to unlock a culture of kindness and collaboration among leaders, as well as support and celebrate the successes of women. I'm Kim Rowell and I won the media category at their awards in 2018 in recognition of my continued work as a commissioner, producer and children's author, particularly within the mental health remit. I'll be talking to my guests on this podcast about their careers, who or what gave them their first big break, their successes, failures and inspirations along the way and how they came to be a part of the Women of the Future Network. Sheila Nortley has written and produced several internationally award-winning productions, including Zion, Victim, and the feature film David is Dying. In 2013, Sheila shot the independent hit Sable Fable, a stunning and sensitive film about interracial relationships, which went on to win Best Film at the American Black Film Festival Awards in Miami, Florida. Sheila was a recipient of the Woman of the Future Award in the Arts and Culture category for her work in film in 2016. Subsequently, she was invited to meet the Prime Minister at 10 Downing Street for her commitment to filmmaking as a means of social change. I met up with Sheila at her workplace in South London. So my background is done in. And my family, my, my parents and so on, are originally from Ghana in West Africa. But I was born and raised here in London, more specifically in Surrey, Mitchum. Yeah, and it was just this, this wonderful cultural cocktail, really, of language and navigating through two different, very different identities, I suppose. Do you have a big family, or...? And I've got three sisters, so reasonably sized, um, but then lots of cousins, lots of aunties, lots of uncles, and we're all based in the Mitchum area, so everyone's really close which was really nice. And then when, I, when I've been back to Ghana, obviously meeting extended family and so on, and it was, yeah, quite a few of us. Yeah. <laughs> do you like that? Do you like being part of a big community and a big yeah, family group? It's, it's lovely. Um, I honestly feel so blessed, and I think I've appreciated it more as I've grown up, because, you know, as you meet various people and various experiences, you learn that not everyone's fortunate enough to have that support system, that network. My dad, he would do things when I was in school, like he would, um, there was a track by Nas called I Can, which is I Know I Can Be What I Want to Be, and he'd buy that for me because I was kind of, you know, worrying about my GCSEs and stuff, and it's something maybe I would have taken for granted that my dad just bought me the CD, but looking back, I know that 
the thoughtfulness that would go into these kind of gestures is not something everyone had and that's what I was surrounded by. I was surrounded by love, I was surrounded by encouragement, just unconditionally, unconditionally which really allowed me to thrive. Your parents never said, well they just always encouraged you I guess, right? They never yeah. said there's nothing you can't do, yeah. just go for it and yeah. be the best that you can be. Absolutely. I think growing up, I always knew I had the potential to do whatever I wanted. I never had any real limitations in terms of what I felt I was capable of. My dad has always been very ambitious and again looking back I think I took for granted how much he would have had to go through as an African man who's come over here and built his career. He's a doctor, he owned his own GP um, surgery and so on so he really built an infrastructure and a mind frame that you just can keep pushing and do what you need to do in order to be successful and he instilled that in all of his daughters and particularly having daughters as well he wanted to make sure that we were all independent to some extent and that we all had drive and determination to be the best that we could be so my sisters all went down the medical route which he was very pleased with apart from me being the black sheep but even then so my sisters I've got one who's a doctor one who's a pharmacist one who's a dentist right all very medical all very yeah. medical but even then that same desire to achieve and do well and contribute to the betterment of people that's the foundation that we all built on and we all support each other in in that sense. You touched on it there but yeah. tell me more about how you got into what you're doing now and yeah. I mean, did you enjoy school was that the kind of the starting point? Yeah for you? yeah I would say the starting point was very very early in terms of probably from around the age of seven or eight I used to write lots of stories I was quite introverted I suppose so I used to enjoy the agency that came with just having a paper and a pen and I could create worlds, I can create characters, I can create stories. So you literally wrote stories? Yeah, I used yeah, to write yeah. them down, I used to write plays obviously, just handwritten yeah, stuff. Yeah. I used to write poems um, and I still, my mum bless her, she's a bit of a hoarder so she's, we've still got lots and lots of the stuff. That's you know? nice though, it's, it's you wonderful. back over it with oh, your own family. With my own yeah. family and um, it, this continued, you know, as a teenager, obviously the, the nature of the poems, what I'd write about, mm. would change. Um, but there was that honesty, it was a safe space to just be myself. Thus, perhaps not all of these poems I'd read with my family. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it was just exploring life, exploring my thoughts, exploring my ideologies, everything was just documented. And it wasn't until, I suppose, university that I actually subconsciously I suppose made the decision to, to get into film that this was the medium that I wanted to use to tell my stories. Did you study film? I studied media and communications okay. um, but there were various modules obviously media is so broad everything yeah. from print you know magazine press news tv film whatever but the module that I dedicated all my time towards was film production and in fact at college I was accused of having itchy fingers, meaning like every lunchtime, every break time, I would be late for other lessons because I was still in the editing suites and stuff. I just couldn't stop perfecting and editing and refining my work. And it's funny when you look back how you see the journey and how everything yeah. was mapped out and how everything led to this point. So you had a passion yeah, at that point. Yeah, it was definitely a passion and it still is a passion. And in fact, when people ask me, well, why did you choose this path? There's a, a thing of, you know, who said I had a choice? It's not mm. a choice. There were times when I think, oh God, filmmaking is not the easiest thing to do. Um, freelancing a lot of the time can also be tricky and just yeah. navigating in the industry. And there are times in my career when I thought, oh, maybe I should do something else. 
but I can't help it. I will still wake up in the middle of the night and write, and it's just who I am. So it wasn't really a choice as opposed to submitting to who I am. I heard you speak at a Woman of the Future event, and you were talking about when you're in the playground and you were pre pretending to be Spice Girls. Oh yeah, yeah. And I think I think <laughs> yeah. kind of the, the idea of the story, yes. or the reason for the story, was yeah. that you felt pigeonholed, or that yeah. you didn't want to be the Spice Girl that they were making yeah. you be. Absolutely, yeah. Do you, do you think you have been pigeonholed, and have you tried to push against it and buck the trend? Or? Oh, that's such an interesting question. Yeah, with that Spice Girls example, it, which yeah. Spice Girl were you? Mel B. Ah, okay. Always Mel B. Because of the on yeah, and that even has deeper connotations in that as a black woman, there are stereotypes of a black woman being, yes, fierce and strong and aggressive, and you know, there are hashtags magical black girl magic and all this kind of stuff. We are a spectrum of different people, we're, we're not a monolith, and thus, I have felt that society in general and myself as an individual constantly run the risk of putting my, me in a box. Right. You know, like, as a black woman, there are things that you're suspe expected to do, there's ways that you're expected to think. But I, I feel like I can't really focus on what society wants to label me as or identify me as. I have to focus on how I see myself. The biggest battle is just that. It's making sure I don't restrict myself. If, if I don't restrict myself, I can't afford to care much more about what other people think in that sense. Was there a, a moment or a person on your career path that you would say kind of gave you a break or is there something that particularly stands out for you as like a, either an epiphany or you know yeah. you will have these kind of yeah, eureka yeah. moments. Oh almost. absolutely, it's funny that's a good question. I would say the biggest influence in terms of shaping my career is undoubtedly and unapologetically God. I do believe in God 100% and as I look back I can always see the people he did bring into my life to guide and direct and shape my journey. The first of these people that I can remember other than my family was a lady named Rose. Who I met her. This, is a, this is a rest story, I don't think I've shared this publicly. I met her at a poetry event when I was 15 and it was my first time sharing my poetry in public. Mm. And I was at this kind of event and I stood up and I read my poem and I went to sit down and she was an elderly lady and she called me aside and she asked me a few questions. She asked me my age, she said, how old are you? I said, 15. She said, what a beautiful age. And she asked me my name again and I told her, Sheila Nordley, and she said, I see your name engraved in the future or I see your name in lights. These were her words. And um, I, I remember like, I, I was like, what? And I was with my sisters and I was like, Oh my gosh, this lady, did you see like, and they'd seen her obviously, um, but it was a very magical moment because it was like, I didn't know or understand what she'd seen in me. I mean, it was very rare for someone to display that level of belief in someone they'd only seen for a, for a few. How do you make you feel? Because that's quite prophetic, isn't it? It was. Quite, you know, I see your future. It, was, it felt magical. Mm. It felt magical. And obviously I, I asked her her name and I, I just, I would never forget this woman. And I'd never seen her, I never saw her again. But yeah, it felt really magical and it felt like um, some kind of confirmation of something I suppose deep down I'd always known, which was that one way or another, I felt I had something I wanted to contribute to the yeah. world. Um, I felt blessed with opportunities, I felt blessed with gifts. And yeah, this, this kind of reminded me, I suppose, of, of that, what I wanted to do. It's almost like a fairy tale. It sounds like, like, like yeah. Jack getting the beans. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was a magical <laughs> moment. Yeah. It was a magical moment. 
and as I grew older, when I was a teenager, I had a, I got my my first tattoo. I've got two, um, and incorporated in that tattoo is a rose. Um, to kind of remind me, yeah, because it, it, if I didn't maybe tattoo the rose on my skin, it might be something that I think, hang on, did I, did I make that up? Or yeah. Did that really happen? And I think I wanted that reminder constantly of what she said. Good that your sisters were there as well, though. Yeah, right? great. Otherwise, you might have been like, did and I, I had a diary, or... so I wrote it down okay. that night in my diary. So I, I it's a hundred percent real. But I remember saying it to them, like, do you think like. Yeah, like who was that? Like I was, and especially you know, as a child mm. as well. You're, you're even your imagination's running wild. Like, what was that about? You know, but that was a moment. And since then, I've had perhaps less magical moments, but several other moments where someone has reaffirmed what they what they see in me. I suppose. Yeah. Has um, it come at moments when you've been questioning yourself? Um, I'm always questioning myself. <laughs> so yes, probably. <laughs> yes, probably. I, I suppose these messages always comes about from places you you don't necessarily expect. So like Rose, for example, or mm. or a friend who you haven't been in contact with. I find that the message is consistent. And when people who you've considered, for me personally, they were people who I considered good friends, who let me down over the years for a number of reasons. And and sometimes you can't expect those messages of support and love to come from the same sources. We have to kind of be fluid and understand that people change, times change, people come in and out of your life for reasons. And I've had people, I've had mentors, I've had friends, I've had family who absolutely at the right time have told me what I needed to hear or reminded me of what I know. And that's why as a, as a general rule, I know it all comes from God, definitely, yeah. You've done, I mean, you've done so much already. Yeah, Is there you. anything in particular that stands out for you in your career history so far today? Because mm. obviously you're still, still going, obviously. Yeah, still going. Um, one moment that stands out the most was the um, American Black Film Festival 2013, where we won Best Film and Best Director. And the reason that stands out to me was again, it was one of those magical moments. We shot a film, an indie film, a very ambitious indie film, in a way which had not really been thought of. The director, Stephen Lloyd Jackson, I call him a mad scientist, and I'd, I'd call him that to his face, so I could say <laughs> it, but he is a genius, an absolute genius, and he thinks in a way which is different and unique, and it makes him very, very special. And he said to me, he wants to shoot this film, he wants four crew members only. He wants most of the script to be improvised and that would work through a series of workshops with the actors so it became very much method acting. The cast became those characters and they had to workshop and so on with each other so that when we were shooting the conversations could happen very organically because it, they weren't scripted. Four crew members is insane. We had camera, sound, makeup. That was it. That was it and him as a director. Um, you were producing? I was producing, so I'd help with what normally would have been done by a production manager, just in terms of the admin, making sure things go smoothly and the logistics, yeah. exactly. Um, but on set, four people. And to go to Miami, Florida, where we were amongst the elite of the black film industry. Nia Long was there, Sana Lathan, literally just people I'd seen on the TV all my life, just beautifully dressed, looking absolutely incredible. Did you want to pinch yourself? Yeah, it was so surreal. Of course, Miami's beautiful in and of itself, the weather's great, the food's great. I was just like, where am I? What's going on? And then to win and to have Spike Lee say, you guys have been selected as the winners 
we had no funding, we had no investment, everything we had was privately funded, i.e. it was Stephen putting his money into his mm. own vision and so on. And we had not even a fraction of the budget that most of the other um, films in our category had. And we won because the art was beautiful, the film was beautiful, it was beautifully shot, it was beautifully told, beautifully acted and directed. And I'll never forget that moment. And I think, again, sometimes retrospect, you don't realise how special something is. Mm -hmm. And I think when I was there, I was kind of just floating around feeling like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. But I didn't realise how prestigious the ABFS actually are until mm -hmm. several years later when I'm, people I know now are saying, well, I just want to go there and be there. Mm -hmm. You know, not even entering films or being selected, but I just want to be in that environment yeah. for networking or to meet someone or maybe I'll be discovered. And to know that we were there, we were selected, we won twice. Looking back, I think it's something I didn't really appreciate at the time because I was just so swept up <laughs> in the magic of it. It's true though, like you say, when you're yeah. working on something, you're kind yeah. of head down, focused, oh, and yeah. you don't really realise yeah. the noise or the impact or how good Absolutely. or great or big it is yeah. until you do start receiving yeah. the accolades and yeah. the critiques and all it's that true. kind of thing. Very, so. very true. What was the film called? It was called <laughs> it was called Sable Fable. Okay. I, I was never keen on the title. <laughs> Where can you watch it? Can we still watch it? Or? No, the, Stephen has been very protective over it. I'm hoping he has plans to distribute it or redistribute it, but he hasn't kind of put it anywhere online where it can be watched. But I mean, I can I can honestly say it was an incredible film, and I do hope that it gets seen more and it's yeah. distributed more because it was it was stunning. It was about interracial relationships and the psychology of those interactions, i.e. the feelings of betraying the culture or the feelings of novelty, mm. of experiencing different races or the fe you know, just all of the impacts it has on the mind and whether or not those impacts should be valid and are justifiable. So it was a really beautiful film. We looked at sexuality, we looked at race and I think that's why it won those awards. It was a very sincere piece of art. And addressing issues that maybe weren't so prolific. Yeah, or, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I mean, you you also were recognised by the Prime Minister for your commitment to filmmaking as a means of social change. Yeah. <laughs> How does that feel? Is, is that your reason d'etre? That's your DNA? It's, uh, or, was, or did that come out of the blue? Ah, uh, no, that came out of the Woman of the Future Awards, who, again, at the time I didn't realise how wonderful it was to just be nominated and then, of course, to win. But they opened up my world to a whole new demographic, i.e. I was very much industry orientated mm. and we live in a bubble of writers, directors, producers, yeah, yeah. cast and crew. For the Women of the Future Awards, obviously I won the Arts and Culture category but there were several other categories and several other industries who I was fortunate enough to meet and women who were leading in their field and it was just wonderful and through that network I was introduced to some amazing people, talented people, powerful people and yeah this ended up with me at um, 10 Downing Street um, speaking with Theresa May at the time and so on. Um, is social change kind of a running theme through the content that you make or is it is it just a happy coincidence? No I think it has to be yeah. you know I think the times that we're living in I feel like as an artist there has to be a level of accountability in terms of what we're creating and what we're putting out there and why. I feel it would be irresponsible for me to just create stuff that looks and sounds great. I feel like I have to comment on some of the things that are in my heart and I think that's what a true artist does. Either because you want to change the world or just because it's unbearable to hold it in your heart. 
there has to be a way of expressing it with the hope of contributing to some kind of change, whether it's contributing to someone thinking more about something they hadn't considered or seeing something from someone else's perspective. I don't want to go out and like preach to people. I don't feel particularly tied down to any particular ideology enough to want to impose it on anyone, but I just want people to talk about things and to open people's eyes to other people's ways of thinking. And if I can do that, I feel like I would have achieved a lot. Start a conversation, start a conversation, get people talking, because I feel like that's what we're supposed to do. Not kind of arguing and fighting over land and wealth and oil and stuff, but just getting to know each other and understand each other as human beings. And I feel, going back to your question about being a black woman, I can tell some of the black experience from what I've experienced. But the black experience, again, it's a plethora of different experiences. Mm. My experience is not the same as someone born and raised in Ghana, born and raised in Brazil. African-American, for example, my experience as a woman, I can't speak for every woman. Mm. But if I can speak for myself and encourage other people to speak for themselves, that would be a whole lot of conversation. Do you feel it's a bit of a double-edged sword? Because you're both black and a woman. Mm. And one on, one on its own would be hard enough almost, <laughs> isn't it? I know you're not, supposed to, say, you're not supposed to say these no, things. No, I'm glad you did. Then <laughs> stick it together. And yeah, you've yeah. Got... yeah, it's interesting. It's a cocktail of, of experience, but it, 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 I'm black, I'm a woman, I'm also Muslim. So there are several minority groups mm. that I fit into, and I'm still figuring out how to navigate those identities as just a human being and again when it goes back to my films some of the stories I tell are very universal you could be a white woman in I don't know Poland and understand love the same way as a black boy in Kenya or whatever so it's the human experience is something mm -hmm. that we can all connect on emotions love pain heartache and so on and perhaps the aim is not to present myself as any particular group, but just to tell stories that can connect people. I was speaking to a friend yesterday and the conclusion we had was that if you try to pigeonhole yourself, you limit yourself. You limit your potential and you limit your identity. It's like you're putting yourself in that box and how do you get out of that? So just a case of just being really, just being and, and transcending those labels. Yeah, speaking a universal language exactly. that everyone gets. Yeah, whatever, whatever you speak or your background or whatever. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. So it kind of works the other way. It's like I don't go out to tell stories of the black British experience or whatever. I just tell my stories and whichever box it may fit in for you, that's cool. <laughs> you can do that. It works for you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I wouldn't write specifically to fit in a particular box because then it takes away from the art, it takes away from the beauty of it. The authenticity. The authenticity. Buzzword. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just want to be as real as possible and that, that's what connects with people. Mm. Okay, I have some quick fire questions. Mm. Yes. Okay. <laughs> what, what would you describe as your greatest success? Oh, not quick fire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they are quite challenging My greatest questions. success mm, is, um, is keeping true to the vision, keeping true to my vision because several times in life there are so many things that can kind of distract you or take you away from it. Um, and I, my vision was I wanted to not only have a successful career but be successful in myself as a mm. human being um, and maintain a sense of integrity throughout my work. Now that's something I've stuck to over the years. I've been doing this for 10 years and I've managed not to compromise on that vision which is not, you know, it's not only material success, it's spiritual and emotional success just as a person. And your greatest failure? Mm, my greatest failure. 
These are not quick fires. <laughs> Making you think. It's failure has this sense of permanence to it, which is why yeah. I struggle. It's like there are things I've failed on or things I've not done so well in. It's not black and white, though, but is it's it? Not it's not black and white. It's more the grey It's not black and white. I think that perhaps one of my failures has been any time that I've not allowed myself to grow. So any time that I've felt kind of static, whether that's in a relationship or in my career or anything like that, when I felt like I couldn't progress or I couldn't move or I couldn't embrace the change that was coming, you know, because change is inevitable. There's always something new and you have to be able to adapt and grow. And sometimes there's a level of comfort that can kick in. Why couldn't you? Is it just the kind of state of your mind? Um, it might sound strange. There are a number of things. I think comfort can be very useful sometimes. I feel sometimes if you're in a place that's comfortable financially, in a relationship, anything like that, even if it's not helping you progress, mm. there is just, especially in this day and age where there's so much negativity, just wanting to feel safe and secure, you just want to stay put. There's that element. There's also a level of fear of achieving as well, which I've always had, is which is that despite knowing I felt I could do a lot, it's like, how will your friends see you? Will they think you think too much of yourself? Will they think this? Will they think that? Plus the fact that I, I try not to, and I, I don't think I do, put as much value on certain successes and accolades and stuff as other people might. So to me, it might not be a massive deal, but to, some, to, to someone in my friendship group or whatever, it's like, wow, you've done this, you've done that, which can either be positive mm. or it can cause conflict if they don't feel they can do those things or achieve those things as well, if that makes sense. Yeah, it really does. Yeah, so it's like, for example, friends might have said previously, I've managed to like sieve through and filter and now I have the best, the best people surrounding me, but people might have said something like, oh, you've got this, oh, oh, you were just on BBC or this or that. Why didn't you tell us? And I was like, oh, that's sorry, I, I, I didn't realise it. And, and it's like this bittersweet love-hate thing of, unfortunately, not everybody who is inquiring about these things generally has your best interest at heart so can, or can understand that this is just a part of me, not, not me and my entirety. So, yeah. Do you think you are Sheila at work and Sheila at home? You think there are two of you, or is there some kind of perfect no, blend? Yeah, it's yeah. just me. It's just me. And I think, in fact, as I've gotten older, we're taught, especially as women, that in order to be a successful woman, you have to have these qualities. And a lot of the time, we're told you have to act like a man, think like a man, be like a man, blah, blah, mm. and be everything other than who you are. And again, I suppose with, with gender, you know, what does it mean to think? What does it mean to think like a man or act like a man? We're all different. Mm. And if I am just myself, that is what I think works for me. Yeah. I don't feel I have to be ruthless. I don't feel I have to be rude. I don't even feel I need to be, I don't know, scientific and, and mathematical about my strategies almost. Like, I just need to do what I do best, which is tell my stories and be myself. And honestly, that's kind of what I found works. That's when I'm most happy and most successful and attract the right kind of people. Because, yeah, you can only, I mean, there's that saying, isn't there, that don't try and be anyone else because it's already taken. You'll never be able to do it as good as the, yeah. the person who you're trying to imitate. So, yeah, I, I find that I'm pretty consistent in terms of who I am at work, at home, just very sensitive soul. That's about it, really. I was having a conversation with someone at work the other day. We've been told to grow, grow some balls or something. Oh, yeah. and I was like, why would I want to grow Go, some yeah. balls? What is the last thing in this world that you'd want to grow? That I want in exactly. my life. Well, it's like that you 
just says, yeah, you can't be anybody else. You yeah. are you yeah. and all your glory yeah. and looks and all. Exactly, exactly. And like understanding. So for example, where I say I'm quite sensitive, that has its pros. I wouldn't be able to write as well if I couldn't connect with people emotionally, if I couldn't look at someone and understand their body language and gauge how they're feeling and, and, and take on some of that. Mm. I do that. And obviously it has its cons. It means I might watch something sad and it will affect me for three days. And that's fine too. Obviously you, you try and be the best that you can and also em embrace the fact that you're not going to be perfect ever. And the same parts of you that are beautiful are the same parts of you that might be difficult at times, you know. So I, I couldn't try and be anyone else. It's far too um, draining. We've got a lot more to do. I've got to write rather than act. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> the mantra of the woman of the future is kindness and collaboration, mm -hmm. as you know. What does that mean to you in both your personal and professional life? Yeah, I think it means a lot because, um, as I said previously, in terms of what I see as success, there is so much one can do, so much one can achieve materially, but compromising on just the foundations of being a human being, just being nice. I remember, for example, being on a film set previously and having a member of the crew who was particularly volatile and just mean. And considering it was, it was my crew, I kind of made a general statement that, oh, because we're rushing and we're short of time and so on, can everyone just be polite to each other, mm. um, speak nicely, everyone from the, the director to the runners to the extras. Yeah. Because when you're, especially when you're short of time, it can be easy to be very, um, very Kurt, short. Yeah, Kurt, exactly. Yeah. So, so, you know, can we just speak to each other with kindness and so on? Believe it or not, he had a problem with this. He said, that's not how I speak and you can't tell me how to do my job. Are you kidding? I'm actually serious. I think, again, his issues with, with me were beyond what I was saying. He couldn't take authority from a black woman and a soft-spoken black woman at that, so I wasn't pretending to be this authoritarian that, you know, just do what I say. I was trying to be nice. Um, but yeah, he, he, he couldn't accept being asked to be polite and kind, and I did then have to say, this is my set and this is how I run my set. My set is, it, I run it with kindness and good manners, and if you don't like it, I can hire someone else. So yeah, I think it's of utmost importance. How do you respond to that? Luckily, I mean, there was a few of us there and um, another producer, a male, kind of had to, I suppose, continue the conversation with him because he, he, he found it difficult to understand and, and, and to be able to accept the message I was trying to give. And the other producer said, look, I don't see how you can have a problem with being told to just be nice. Um, and in an industry which is known to be cutthroat and known to be harsh and known to have hierarchies and so on, that's definitely something that I want to continue and as I said if I am able to maintain that throughout my career that would be a huge 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 success. It just doesn't have to be that way either. It doesn't. It really doesn't. It didn't make sense to me but it just goes to show that you know there's a lot of ego. There's a lot of ego in the film industry and that's something that we have to navigate very carefully and you're not going to have a long career doing that because people well, are not going to Yeah yeah exactly. So yeah that was a funny a funny uh, funny guy funny um, situation. But yeah, kindness is something that is just, it's a shame we have to almost remind ourselves how important it is because it's something that should be so natural, like, just be nice. Yeah, and, and children know it, you know, and even though children, obviously, they, they may make their mistakes and, and so on, but they know, as a principle, be nice to people. But we have to remind ourselves, unfortunately, that this is how we're supposed to interact. Is there anything that scares you? Um, yes, loads of things. <laughs> In terms of career? 
Or just could be anything. Spiders. <laughs> yeah. Or near cracks in the paper. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. I've got a list of those. No, I'll be honest. Um, yeah, so spiders and, and dogs mm. and they're, they're most animals. Um, <laughs> so the zoos are no go. No, well, yeah, from a distance, I'm aware. <laughs> okay. You know, but if anything touches me, I'll probably scream. There, there are a lot of things that scare me, but I suppose the beauty of it is kind of overcoming those fears and just mm. cracking on and doing what you need to do. And what's left on your to-do list? Oh, I have many things. I mean, at the moment, the big one is I would like to film in Ghana. I'm working on something at the moment in early pre-production, and it's a big story. It's one that's dear to my heart, and I've been wanting to write for a long time, but I was afraid okay. because it's so big. Um, Can you tell us anything about it? Or? I can't. Actually, it's, it's so oh. early. It's so early. We're still pitching for investment and so okay. on, so I can't yet. But as soon as I can, everyone will know about it because it's something that for the past 10 years I've wanted to write and I just didn't feel it was the right time and I kind of hid away from it because it felt too big and I wanted to do other things first and so on. But yeah, the timing just seems right and everything is aligned to, to make it happen. So Do you have your own company? Yes, I okay. do. Yeah, so I run my own company, Aminio Group. And yeah, we have an amazing crew of internationally renowned filmmakers who have kind of come together to work on various projects and productions. So that's why now there's that momentum in terms of mm. Once you know people see your work and like your work, what are you do next? How can we get involved? And it just kind of builds like yeah. that. Yeah, it's exciting. It's very exciting. Very exciting. Sheila, it's been brilliant talking to you. Oh, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. Thank you for your questions. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Women of the Future podcast. If you enjoyed it, please hit the subscribe button. And while you're there, why not give us a rating and review? You know you want to. For more about the Women of the Future Awards, network and initiative, please visit www.womenofthefuture.co.uk. See you soon.